Let's open with a word of prayer. God, once again, we come before you and, and we have to say to you, we're sorry. I'm sorry for the things that I've done that I should not have done. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that I should have done that you called me to do and, and I did not do. In both cases, you call those things sin. And we're sorry for our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to pay the penalty for our sins, for dying on the cross that we might have an opportunity to have eternal life with you. And now come, Holy Spirit, and fill us with your presence, with your love, with your comfort, with your peace, with your enlightenment, so that as we open these scriptures today, we may gain an understanding of what they're about and not just words on a page. We can't do that on our own. It has to come from you, Holy Spirit, so we're counting on you. These things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture this week, <clears throat> continuing as we do right through uh, the book of Matthew, is from Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 25 through 30. And I'd like to read those for you first, and then we'll go back and unpack them a little bit. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 25. Uh, you can follow along in your Bibles. If you don't have Bibles, there are some up here at the front. You're welcome to come and get one of these. Or the scriptures, as you see, are on the screen for your benefit. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this was your great pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. In this church, we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. It's the only rule we have for, for faith and practice in our lives. We hold to the authority of Scripture. Last week, we read that Scripture that's just preceding this, where Jesus denounced the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. You remember why? Because they would not repent. They would not repent. They refused to repent. And we even took an opportunity at the close of the service to repent ourselves. Personally, to repent as a church, to repent as a nation, to ask for repentance for our nation. We, the righteous of God, we the ones that are called, the only ones that would uh, speak up for our nation, are the believers. And this week, that scripture begins, as you saw right there, with, with a phrase that says, at that time Jesus said. So we're led to believe that this followed immediately after his denouncing 
Chorazim and Bethsaida and Capernaum. I mean, almost like the next sentence after he cursed those three cities, he comes out with this wonderful invitation for us. Verses 25 through 27 is about revelation. About revelation. Two kinds of revelation. Let me just, let me just read verses uh, 25 through 26 here. Uh, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. So there are two kinds of revelation talked about here. This first revelation is a, is a natural and general revelation. He's revealing that God is the Lord of heaven and earth. And to follow this up, there was a, there was a fellow later on that was one of Jesus' apostles. His name was Paul. His name was Paul. And he went throughout the Middle East, uh, Asia Minor, into Europe, spreading the, the good news about Jesus Christ to those that had not heard. And Paul, toward the end of his life, wrote letters back to many of the churches that he had founded. One of the letters that he wrote was to the, to the uh, Christians to the believers in Rome. And it's called the Book of Romans. I mean, that's one of, one of the major books of, of uh, our belief system in any church uh, where we call ourselves Christians. And if you look at Romans chapter 1, verse 20, we read this that comes in um, line with this natural or general revelation that God is the Lord of heaven and earth. Paul saying to the church, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Paul saying that God has eternal power, has divine nature, <clears throat> and we can see this. If we look in nature, we don't, we don't have to have, have uh, come in contact even with the scriptures. We look at nature and say, wow, who created this? You hear stories of people in, in foreign countries, in, in remote areas that have never experienced a missionary or a preacher or a Bible teacher of any sort, and they come to faith in Christ simply because of the nature around them. They know that it couldn't have just happened. It had to be created. Who created it? They, they go to search to find out who created it, and they find God. But what was man's response to this revelation? Well, it was the same response that we saw last week from the people, the cities in Chorazim, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And Romans 1, 21 and 23 that follows that, that verse I just read kind of speak to that. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. So yeah, they, they heard. They uh, may have even kind of believed that, that God did exist, but they 
failed to glorify him. They refused to do that. They refused to thank him for what he had done in their lives and in their world. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. How? They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles, idol worship, idol worship. Now, you may not have sitting on your mantle in your house when you go home today an idol that you worship, but we worship idols. We worship idols. Money is an idol for many people. Our jobs are idols for many of us. We put that ahead of everything. Uh, even something good like our families can become idols when we put that before God. God comes first and demands first place above everything else in our lives. We have uh, at least four fishermen here in this church, commercial fishermen, that uh, professional fishermen or whatever you call them, they get paid for it. I don't get paid for it. I don't even get fish for it. But uh, <laughs> they, you know, they're different. But... Uh, they made the choice at some point in their lives not to fish on Sundays. They just wouldn't do that. Yet Sunday would be a big day for income for them, particularly in the summertime. But they choose not to. It was a choice on that part. So we have a choice as to, which, uh, as to what we worship, whether it be God or whether it be some idol in our lives. The second kind of revelation is spoken about in verse 27. And it says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So the second kind of revelation is a, a personal or specific revelation by God to an individual. As a result, that person turns away from what he's doing, the life that he's leading, the sin that's in his life, and turns to Jesus Christ. Turns away from whatever it is and turns to Jesus Christ. And Jesus says several important things in this revelation, I think. First of all, the gospel, and he calls the gospel here, the, he calls it these things, these things. That's the gospel. The gospel is known only to God. From beginning to end, we know, we know parts of the gospel. We can, we can share the gospel with people, the story with people. We don't, know the, we don't really know the beginning or the ending of the story. We weren't there. God alone knows the gospel. No one knows what God knows except Jesus. That's the other thing he told us. Because the gospel has been committed to him by God. And because being God's son, he alone knows the Father. None of us can know the Father. We have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that's the only way that we can have a relationship. We are not worthy to go face to face with God the Father. Our relationship is through his son, Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, it is God's pleasure that the, the Son should reveal him to those the Son chooses. It's God's pleasure. He chooses. 
There's one place in, in John where uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And we kind of balk at that. Well, I'm, I made the decision for Christ. Well, did you? Did you really? Or did he call you first? These statements are astonishing. In, in the first paragraph, that 25 and 26 verses, the revelation is given by God according to God's good pleasure. And in the second paragraph, um, uh, verses, verse 27, the revelation is to be given at the discretion of the Son. So it's saying that Jesus can choose who he's going to share eternal life with. And what he sets up here is just another one of those times where he's about to go up against the establishment. God the Father and Jesus the Son are placed on equal footing in this passage. And the revelation has to do with Jesus and his teaching. He says it's given to the little children. Not little children. The ones that are immature in their faith. Immature spiritually. The ones who are humble enough to know that they need him for their salvation. That they can't have eternal life without him. Chapter 11 of Matthew ends with this wonderful invitation. Those who have believed in Jesus, going back to what we talked about last week, those who have believed in Jesus have enrolled in his school. He has a school for us. The Academy of Jesus Christ, I called it last week. Those who believed in him have enrolled in that school in order that they might learn and they might believe all that he teaches. Let's look at uh, verses 28 through 30. This is the invitation. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I can't think throughout Scripture of a more gracious, a more grace-filled invitation than this one. And it comes out of the lips of the one who had just denounced Chorazim and Bethsaida and Capernaum. Why do I call this invitation grace-filled? I could find four reasons for that, and I want to give those to you today. Reason number one is this. This invitation is for everyone. It's for everyone. Jesus' words are for people of all generations, all nationalities, all socioeconomic groups. He calls them just as they are, just where they are. He meets us wherever we are. We don't have to get cleaned up to come to his school. He accepts us just as we are. Oh, that churches would do the same thing. Oh, that we would accept the people as they come in. We don't want to be uncomfortable, though. Someone comes through the door smelling like uh, 
uh, cigarette smoke or, or alcohol or uh, BO or, you know, dirty clothes on. We just want to back up. When Jesus says, we should be hugging that person. We should be accepting them. They're part of the kingdom. Accept them where they are, as they are. They don't have to get cleaned up first to come to church. And I think it's, this is, invitation is also important, this part of it, because some people think that, that his invitation is for those who are uniquely suited for the church, for the kingdom. It's for special people that are uniquely suited. It's for those who have earned the invitation. Friends, we can't do anything to earn the invitation. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do to earn the invitation. We are not worthy of the invitation. None of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus says, all, everyone gets this invitation. And you know what? All includes you. It's easy to think about all those people, but the invitation is for you and for me. It's a personal invitation as well. The second reason I think this is grace-filled, this invitation, this invitation is for those who are burdened by sin. Those who are burdened by sin. And that's not referring exclusively to, to physical weakness here or the burdens of life even. Um, it refers more to those who, are, who feel like they've had sin or strongholds heaped on their backs. And therefore, they need a Savior. Therefore, they need a Savior. Chorism, Bethsaida, Capernaum were cities that weren't burdened by sin. They had it pretty well. They thought they were getting along just fine with life. Economy was, was flourishing. The cities were growing. They were being known in that part of the world. But some of the people who were there, some few of the people who saw and heard Jesus were burdened by their sins. And these people came to believe that Jesus could lift that weight. He could take that burden away. So they listened to him. They trusted him. They turned to him. They found salvation and they found eternal life in him. You see, times of great movement by the Holy Spirit are always preceded by times of great repentance. That's why we looked at the scriptures last week. That's why Matthew puts those scriptures immediately, immediately before these. Repentance has to come first before the Holy Spirit will show up and do his work. What about us today? If you're awed by large numbers of professing Christians regardless of the moral tone or, or spiritual usefulness of their lives, 
They're just professing Christians. Oh, you'll think this is an absolutely wonderful age to live in. Since the Gallup poll tells us that there seem to be more than 50 million born-again Christians in the United States alone today. Wow. That's a badge we can wear, right? If you're impressed by large churches, you'll judge ours to be an age of exceptional blessing. Since we, in these days, have built the largest auditoriums for worship in the history of the world. Ain't we doing good? But if you're looking for something else, for a mature knowledge of God and a genuine godliness in Christian people, and if you're anxious about the accelerating moral decadence in our world, even within the fellowships of professing Christians, then you've got to grieve for the state of the church in America today. In preparation for this Alpha Conference this week, I got a, uh, this coming week, I got a, um, an email from one of the Alpha USA leaders telling me that starting today through the end of the conference, which is Friday, there will be 1,000 Ugandans praying 24-7 for us to attend that conference. Ugandans. We couldn't get a thousand people in America to come out and pray for 24 hours, seven days a week for an entire week. Ugandans, a thousand of them praying for us every day. Here's, here's the big idea. When discipleship is present, people are sensitive to sin and turn from it. They turn to Jesus where relief from sin's burden can be found. Discipleship is the key. Helping somebody else to discover their meaning in life, their purpose in life. What is God's plan for their life? That's what we try to do here. That's what the Alpha Course is all about. Do you carry a burden for the lost? Do you carry a burden for those that are far from God? For those people that have not yet repented? For those people that we keep looking at out there? The ones, I love the windows because we can see out there. Those are the people that we're doing this for. Not for us. For them. Reason number three is this. The invitation, the invitation is to learn about Jesus. When Jesus challenged his disciples, he says here, to learn from me, in verse 29. He was comparing Christ following to a school in which he was both the teacher and the subject matter. That's Christ following. And this is the school 
that every Christ follower has to enroll into. This is the school in which a lifelong course of study is prescribed. It's not a one-shot deal. It's not I turn and I accept and, man, I'm good to go. Let's, let's get on with life. We enroll in the school and it's an ongoing course of study. When we finish one uh, subject area, one practicality, then we're on to the next. And usually it's a little tougher one. That's just the way it works. And it goes on for our entire life. How do you define rest? How do you define rest? That's what our series is about, get some rest. We found an excellent description of rest in the message transliteration of the Bible. We're looking at this, the same uh, area of Scripture, Matthew 11, uh, 28 through 30. This is what the message says. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's, that's rest. That's real rest. Reason number four. The invitation offers rest for tired people. Rest for tired people. And as I close out here, I'm going to ask Walt and, and our ministry team to come on up. We'll have an opportunity at the close of today's service, just like last week, to, to respond in a very uh, personal way. The fourth reason the invitation offers rest for tired people. In fact, the invitation offers it twice. Not just once, but twice if you look at the Scripture. First, there's a rest that is given a rest that is given. Verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That rest comes instantly. Instantly. When you first trust in Jesus Christ. But the second rest is a rest that is found. It's discovered, if you will. Verse 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. Find it. Find rest for your souls. That rest comes as we increasingly learn what it is to follow Jesus in our daily lives. That's discipleship. We build that relationship with Him. And Jesus is the only rest... You or me or any other poor, struggling, 
burdened soul will ever need. You may find yourself today laboring under the burden, distressed by the burdens on your back. And there is no earthly master, none, that can lift that burden. Not a one. There's a lot of them that will promise to, but don't you believe it. Some of you have even tried it, and it doesn't work. No one here can lift that burden. As a matter of fact, many people will add to the burden. And you've experienced that as well. The majority of the people just ignore it. Just ignore it. Like the people in Chorazim and Bethsaida and Capernaum. Because they have a life of their own. Their own burdens. Their own concerns. Their own life to live. But understand that, that you need Jesus. And you need him right now. Jesus is the only one who can actually help you. The only one who can actually help you to find rest. True rest. Last week we looked at repentance. This week we really began our series on rest. And we pray the prayer of invitation that is as old as the church itself. Veni Sanctus Spiritus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Come just now. Come and fill this place. Come and fill each one of us. You're going to have an opportunity to come. We left these expensive mats down here so that... Uh, so if you want to come up and kneel, you're welcome to do that. If you want to pray with our uh, ministry team, you're welcome to do that. We occasionally at, at Renovation Church sing a chorus of a song, a hymn really, that was written in 1922. Now that's old school, I know. Written by a lady named Helen Lemmel. And as I talked to Walt uh, last couple of days, I said, she must have been reading this scripture when she wrote this hymn. It's powerful worship chorus for all time. Not just in 1922, but for 2012 and beyond. Here's the first and last verse of that hymn. It says this, Friend, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's light for a look at a Savior and life more abundant and free. His word shall not fail you. He promised. Believe him, and all will be well. Then go to the world out there that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Won't you turn to him right now? Come.